Well, good morning. Good morning over here. Let's turn this thing around. Well, Jasmine said, my name is Phil. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And we're wrapping up this um, sermon series on Sermon on the Mount this morning. And then next week is a, is a worship service. So there's no kind of formal sermon as such. And then we'll be in a, uh, the rest of August is a series about equipping for kingdom work. And again, we've got some other pastors from around the city that are sharing some thoughts on that, which we're excited for. And then into the fall, and we have a plan uh, in place for the fall, which is going to be really exciting. In a similar kind of vein of how do we live in a way that honors, honors God and follows, furthers our faith in Him. I'm going to say, we've been in this Sermon on the Mount series, this, this series on Jesus' longest and arguably most important um, sermon in the Gospels. And I was praying through what I should teach on out of these three chapters, because it's quite a lot. And you could go through like a whole paragraph or a whole chapter in a message. You could go through just themes. You could go through single verses. And, and I was struck by the Beatitudes at the beginning that Jasmine just read for us. And I've read these actually um, as part of the blessings of, of the end of each service in the last couple of weeks. And um, it's a pretty, a fairly well-known list, I think, to at least some level. But there's one that I felt in particular stood out to unpack a little bit this morning. So I want to end our sermon series starting at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, oddly. Because um, Jesus says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And that's the line I want us to land on this morning, because I think it encompasses a lot of where we need to head as believers, as Christ follows, as kingdom changes. So to bring that sentence into context of the time, Jesus' audience was a prideful, a spiritually prideful people. They had their sights set on a Messiah that would come and deliver them. They were longing for this Messiah to come and restore them to their rightful position, a position of power was God's chosen people. So it must have been a little bit puzzling, at least, to hear this happy are the meek or blessed are the meek. You can have a full life if you're meek because they didn't want meekness. They wanted, and they were expecting, like a brave heart. They wanted Jesus to paint his, his face blue and, and yell freedom and charge the, the castle. That's what they wanted. They wanted this physical revolution. But Jesus came to bring a spiritual revolution. They believed, the Jews believed that great causes are fought by the proud, not the humble. You can't conquer Rome, the greatest empire on earth, with meekness and humility. But that's the audience Jesus is talking to. He says, blessed are the meek. And in John 16, 33, Jesus tells us to take heart because he has overcome the world. So there's a tension there to unpack of what we expect it takes to overcome something and what Jesus says. And the Bible lists many benefits of meekness, in, many in the Psalms, but the meek should be satisfied. The meek will guide and teach. The meek will become wise. They'll be filled with fresh joy. And that there's others. But the point is, it's not an uncommon theme. We sometimes skim over it in the Beatitudes as a, as a one-off statement that we don't really understand. Uh, and the real problem is that we, don't, we just misunderstand the term of meekness because we don't really know what meekness is. We don't use it. It's not a common phrase. It's not a common attribute we talk about. We confuse it with a word that sounds much like it because meek sounds like weak and nobody wants to be weak. You don't work in the marketplace to be meek. You don't float around. You want to swim with the sharks. You know, the coach doesn't say, get in the game. I want you to, I want you to go after the quarterback and nurture him meekly. 
no, it doesn't feel right. It rubs us the wrong way. It goes against our competitive nature of rising to the top, of winning the race. But if you're a follower of Jesus, meekness is not optional. In the original language of the Bible, in the Greek, the word for meek is prayers, prayus, which has a couple of, of sort of different levels of meaning. And on the surface, it can mean mild or, or humble. And many translations of scripture use, use that term, sort of humble. But if we just stay there on the surface, that actually kind of fits with what a lot of people think of uh, that stereotype of, of Christians. That picture can feel, or begin to feel, kind of weak, kind of spineless, kind of wimpy. The, the baby Jesus, meek and mild, comes to mind. And that brings a different picture to a Jesus that has overcome the world. It's more a picture of people that wear a lot of polyester and seem like kind of a pushover. But meekness is not weakness. There's two men in the Bible called meek, Jesus and Moses. Neither of them were pushovers. Meekness has a strength under control. The Greek word is used in reference to, to wild animals, particularly horses, that are tamed, or maybe as a medicine that tames a fever. The stallion that still has all its strength all the strength it had when it was wild, but now it has strength that's under control, that's trained, that's intentional, that's bottled up for the master's use. It's strength under control. Sam Watley wrote this book. It's called Meek Like a Warhorse, and there's a, an excerpt that I think is kind of cool. It says, the Greek word preus was used to define a horse trained for battle. Wild stallions were brought down from the mountains and broken for riding. Some were used to pull wagons, some were raced, and the best were trained for warfare. They retained their fierce spirit, courage, and power, but were disciplined to respond to the slightest nudge or pressure of the rider's leg. They could gallop into battle at 35 miles an hour and come to a sliding stop at one word. They were not frightened by arrows, spears, or torches. When they'd got to that point, they were said to have been meeked. To be meeked was to be taken from a state of wild rebellion and made completely loyal and dependent upon one's master. So we're getting a little closer. But I don't think meekness is even as simple as strength under control. There's actually not a ton of evidence in ancient texts that this is the sole or even primary meaning of that word. The description from, from Sam Watley's book that I just read alludes to this physical strength, and I think it can be meek without that. So it can't be quite as simple as that. There's strength under control, but more so, it's surrendering, submitting, agreeing to what God wants to do in your life. It's letting God be God in your life. Ignatius was the bishop of Antioch, and he, he spoke Greek. And, and about 100 years, not quite, after Jesus died, he was on his way to Rome to face martyrdom. And he wrote about meekness and humility and non-retaliation towards antagonistic unbelievers, in fact. And, and he wrote this. In response to their anger, be gentle or meek or prayers. In response to their boasts, be humble. In response to their slander, offer prayers. In response to their errors, be steadfast in the faith. In response to their cruelty, be civilized. Do not be eager to imitate them. 
Let us show by our forbearance that we are their brothers and their sisters. Let us be eager to be imitators of the Lord. And if you glance through those words, again, and out of context, you could summarize meekness as being nice on the face of it. If you don't really consider what it actually would take to live in a way that Ignatius describes. Because being meek is far more than just being nice. It's, it's not a lack, lack of conviction or an unwillingness to stand up and be counted. It's actually courage under fire, an inner strength, a conviction but with a gentle spirit that comes from God's infusion in your life, not from your own spirit. The spirit of meekness is the spirit of Jesus. Jesus challenged the culture of the day. He stood up. He fought for God. He spoke out against injustice. He wasn't timid. He wasn't overly cautious. Meekness doesn't provide an excuse. In fact, the opposite is true. Marcy and I, we were talking about the sermon earlier in the week, um, and we agreed that, that we all want like the easy way out. You, know, you, you want to listen to the sermon, and you always kind of naturally think, well, is it really for me, or is there some kind of excuse I can get? Is there some kind of like, sidestep I can do, some kind of reason why it doesn't really apply to me? And in this case, it's easy to lean into that meek and mild action step. Oh, meek and mild, so reserved, cautious. I don't have to share faith. I can be unwilling to stand out and, and, and be different. I can be terrified of offending because that's, that's meek and, and mild. And what I want you to hear is this. Jesus not only said, blessed are the meek, he modeled it in his life. And he was not those things. He wasn't backwards and coming forward. He stood firm in culture of the day. He passionately sought God's will and instructs us to do the same. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus, who suffered for you, is your example. Follow in his steps. He never sinned. He never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. And meekness has always been God's way for humanity. If you've been a part of LMCC, this church, for a while now, you'll know that my love for Moses in the Bible runs deep. There's themes and stories in the Bible that speak to each of us maybe slightly differently or more powerfully or stick with us for longer. And for me, the character of Moses is one, not just because of the DreamWorks movie, although that helps. The account of Moses in the Old Testament it's around 13th century BC. It starts in Egypt. We're looking at the book of Exodus where it begins. It spans four books of the Old Testament. And Moses is the great leader and deliverer of the Jews, rising from seemingly nothing. He oversees the escape from Egypt, shepherds the people towards the promised land. They follow pillars of cloud, pillars of fire. They part the sea. And in Numbers, it says, the man Moses was very meek more than all men that were on the face of the earth. Because with God, meekness wins. It wins. It's what separates Moses from everyone else. And God said, that's the heart. That's the heart I want in you. Moses was very meek, more than all the men that were on the face of the earth. And he was the one chosen to lead the people out of oppression, to stand up against the most powerful dynasty of the day, does that mean Moses led a peaceful, weak life without challenges to overcome, without hard work, without grit and determination? No, far from it. 
And if you fast forward to our passage today, we're in the New Testament, and Jesus delivers this long, arguably important sermon he's ever given. He says, happy are the meek, because he's calling us to a different lifestyle too, to live at a different level, calling us into a way, to live in a way that transcends what everyone else settles for, what everyone else goes after. We're called to be like Moses and follow the path God has laid for us with the same meekness and determination and tenacity that he had. And to do that, I think it's deeper than just a decision one day to, to simply be meek. I'm going to leave church this morning and now I will be meek. It's not the same as that. It's not like, well, I'm going to be healthy, so I'll eat healthily, whatever that means. Or I'm going to drag myself through a workout because I feel guilty I haven't moved all day. And I'm hoping that a half-hearted attempt at doing a workout for 20 minutes will somehow check a box and make a difference. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than I'm going to read the Bible out of an obligation. It doesn't work like that. Those lifestyle-type decisions need a deeper purpose, an overarching goal, something deeper that will drive it. And in this case, in the case of meekness, the driver is based on God's holiness. Because meekness means I acknowledge God's holiness. When I look at, at myself in light of who God is, I'm humbled by his righteousness his worthiness, his holiness. How often do we just meditate on the image of God in his throne room, inspired by who he is? Meekness begins with the acknowledgement that God is God. And that's a choice we have to make. And meekness is a confidence in who I am. And you see people boasting about themselves or bringing attention to themselves, the arrogant, the prideful. That's usually a sign of, of deep insecurity. That's not the kind of confidence I'm talking about. It's a confidence of, of who I am in light of who God is. So since the beginning of this year, we've been on this journey that started with who do you say I am? And we looked at who Jesus was expected to be in the Old Testament scripture. We looked at some covenants um, of God, the promises that God gave. And then we looked at the, the New Testament, we looked at Jesus' own words of who he said he was. And then we turn our attention to who, who we are, how we've each been uniquely equipped to further God's kingdom through his church as partners together. This is where meekness comes in, the willingness to let God take control, a decision to have confidence in how I have been equipped to serve the kingdom. Personally, for me, in, in this season, one of, one of the examples is not giving in to the uncertainty of hiring a new lead pastor to partner with us in this work. In fact, just last week, the elders met. We met with our search consultant at Van der Blumen. We now have a set of initial interviews lined up in the days ahead. So pray for us. It's exciting. It's really daunting. And it's a really strange place to be in. To give up the control, the comfort of what we know to decline the temptation to manipulate a situation for my own comfort. And we all do that to some degree because we all want to control the safety net. We all want to be in control of that. And it can be hard to stand firm in the confidence of who God has made us to be, the work he has assigned us to do, the work he's assigned me to do. God's path for us may not align with the path the world might take. It may not align with the easy route. And that takes confidence. Back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10, God, your God, is the God of all gods. 
He's the master of all masters, a God immense and powerful and awesome. That is not a description of me. Meekness is a confidence in who I am, and I know I am not that. Meekness is acknowledging that description of God and having confidence of who I am in light of that description of God. And to have confidence in whose I am. Because under the, the layer of wickedness, the human layer, is a wonder. A wonder that's inspired by the presence of God. You know whose I am? I'm a child of the King. One of God's children, adopted, welcomed into his family because Jesus died for me. The Bible says that I put my faith in what Jesus did on the cross as a payment for my sins. I'm one of his. I'm not just a creation, but a child of God. 1 John 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God. I have a new identity. There's the confidence in who I am, but there's a wonder side in whose I am. A child of the King. And it's in that balance I find meekness. If I'm not meek, I can't realize my brokenness. If I don't humble myself, I can't commit myself fully to Jesus Christ. Not a weakness, a confident humility in who I am and whose I am. And that's a choice. In Romans, don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? You can choose sin, your way, your path, your agenda, but that leads ultimately to death. Or you can choose to obey God and receive his approval. And we have to make that choice over and over and over. And this is the part of the choice that separates those that walk authentically and intimately with Jesus and those who are casual, occasional fans of Jesus. It's in the word all. It means everything. A commitment to Jesus is not half measures. He wants everything. If it were a financial commitment or an investment, we'd say like, oh, here's a dollar, Jesus. Oh, here's another one. Oh, here's five. Okay. He wants the whole account. He wants the whole thing. He wants all of you. Because when you give him everything, that's when you get a new self. And that's the win. The win is the new self. The cost is everything. No one can become my disciple without giving up everything for me. All my life. All my will. Growing up, um, I, was, I was a Boy Scout. Now, in England, Boy Scouts are slightly different. We used to wear green. I don't think you wear green here. But anyway, I'm sure it's similar, but very different. Um, I never really questioned it, actually. At all. I, was, I loved it. I, I lived and breathed it every Friday night. It was amazing. It, as a Cub Scout, I, to me, when I was younger as a Cub Scout, it made perfect sense. We're imitating a wolf pack. Why wouldn't we be? I mean, why wouldn't this be created around that kind of environment? It just it makes sense. Dib, dib, dib makes sense. It doesn't, but it did then. And as a teen, our scout troop actually aired away from the military overtones, thankfully. And I think it's actually a bit more informal than it used to be. But, but even then, like as they say, Friday nights, that was where we were. And we were busy. We were hiking and cooking things. And for some reason, oddly obsessed with tying giant poles together, I don't know why, but I could build a chariot out of six-foot poles and race you around the room. 
If you want a competition on how to turn, how to tie a round turn and two half hitches, I could do that right now. I fully believed, fully believed that later in life, that would be a daily skill. And I have not tied a bowline since. But, but as a Boy Scout, and I think it's the same here, we, you, you'd earn, um, I think you call them patches, we'd call them badges, but you sew these things on, on your arm. We'd sew on your arm, I think here you do on a, on a what's that called, sash? Sash. Um, and you'd, you'd get these, these badges, these awards for, I don't know, pioneering or craftsmanship or sailing or hiking or whatever it is. And there's a faith one. There's a faith patch, a faith badge. And as a pastor, I've helped people with this because they often need someone to, to, to sign off of completion of the thing or, or whatever, which is kind of weird to me because living a life of faith isn't something you sort of sign off and graduate from. But anyway, it's a thing that you do. But I think one of the reasons that, that you and I get so stuck in ourselves is because we view Jesus as, as one of those patches. It's one of the badges, one of the many badges. It's, it's, maybe it's a cool patch. Everyone likes the Jesus patch. It, you know, it has a, a, an embroidered praying hands on it or something. It, it feels like a, a do-gooder kind of patch. You know, it's, it's a nice one to have, a nice achievement, shows moral character. And maybe we view it as like an ex- extreme makeover story. You know, those... Those TV shows that are heartwarming and endearing and kind of inspiring. And, and while the episode's playing, it's great, but afterwards the lasting impact is really no other, no different to any of the other patches that we've earned. And I think that's one of the reasons that we struggle to deal with pain and hurts in our lives. Because the Jesus patch, the faith patch, occupies the same space as the marketplace patch, or the family patch, or the friend patch, or the exerciser patch, or the animal lover patch, or the shopper, or the social conscious person, or the moviegoer, or the crossfit. Well, I know some crossfitters. That, that one's probably bigger. But you get my point. You have all these patches, all these activities, all these things that we believe in, and they're all just equal. They're all great. They're all different roles in our lives. But we get stuck because Jesus is just one of them. And we don't make him first. So we get stuck. And then we call Marcy. And then she points us back to Jesus. And it doesn't mean those other roles we have should disappear. They just shouldn't be prominent. Jesus shouldn't be an extra. He should be everything. The other roles I play, like here's my dad patch. He's my dad badge. I'm a dad, but I'm a dad trying to be a dad based on being a follower of Jesus. I've got a friendship patch, but I don't hide Jesus from my friends. And I try to treat my friends the way Jesus teaches me. I have possessions, but I'm not trying to just stockpile those because I know how Jesus sees them as temporary resources. Jesus is not a bonus, not an extra. He's God. It's not about me collecting more badges so I can gather the willpower to change. It's about committing my all to his power to change me. So I choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control because he loves me. And for some of you, that's the only thing you need to hear. For some of you, you needed to come today, this morning, to hear that Jesus is crazy about you, that he loves you that he wants a more intimate and authentic and real relationship with you. It's not a badge to be worn. It's a relationship to be lived. And he wants you. Some of you might say, I'm hurting or I'm wounded, I'm struggling, and I know, but he cares. 
He was wounded on the cross. He died for your sins. He cares. Whatever your loss is, financial, relational, a secret habit you don't want to share, he cares. When you commit all your life to the will and care and control of Christ, the Spirit of God enters you and fills you with love and a new desire. You don't have to do it alone. Just walk on his path rather than your own. Matthew 11, come to me, all of you who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest because he cares. On this hand, he says, give me everything. And that seems kind of radical and harsh, and difficult. And over here it says, come and I'll give you rest. And that seems loving and, and nurturing, but which, is, which is true, both. So when you give him everything, you can rest on the fact that he's God and you are not. And there are rewards down this path. There are blessings. Blessed are the meek. Happiness, favor, character transformation. The stallion is tamed. Meekness appears. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus says in John 10, I came so they can have real real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. And that's what I want. Better life than I ever dreamed of. Being the center of God's will for me, playing the life, playing life the way he designed it to be played. That's what I want. And that's what I want for you. So my question is, will you commit your life and will to the care and control of Christ? Will you choose to commit everything to the God who not only created you, but loves you enough to change you? To make that commitment, you need to be meek. You have to be humble. You have to humble yourself, drop your pride, say, my way's not working. Pick up his love and grace and forgiveness. And allow it to seep into your life, change you. If you've never said yes to that invitation of a new life, if you've never said yes to God coming in, forgiving you, and heading you in a new direction, that could be your response today. If you've gone maybe a little sideways in your relationship with God, you've maybe slid or fallen back or stepped across the line, whatever it is, maybe you're wearing just a lot of those, those badges, those patches, today you might want to make a recommitment to Jesus being the prominent one. Blessed are you who are meek. You'll inherit the earth. And the meek will join a legacy of Christ followers, living for Jesus in full life, recognizing his kingship, his authority. Your meekness will hone and harness the greatness God created in you to do incredible kingdom things. Moses was not special, but the God he served is. The God he sought deep relationship with is infinitely holy. And when Moses acknowledged that, when he embraced what God had in store, he had incredible, incredible kingdom impact. And that same God seeks deep relationship with you. And there is incredible kingdom impact in store. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you. We thank you for your deep love for each of us. We ask that you grant us the humility we need, the courage we need to step into that love. 
to allow you to be God, to give up our own control, our own arrogance, and allow you to take the reins. We ask that you do a work in each of us to see what gets in the way of putting you as, as number one, putting you as the everything. And we ask these things in your name.